The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. We're joined today by Mark Bergen. He is a reporter at Bloomberg, a good friend of mine, and the author of Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination, coming out next Tuesday, September 6th. So I encourage you to pre-order it, but if you want to hold your judgment and listen to this conversation, by all means, uh, but I think you're going to like a lot of what Mark has to say. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. Been waiting eagerly for years to be on the show. Exactly. Well, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a long time coming. You're definitely, without a doubt, the closest friend that I've had on the show, and it's really a thrill to be able to speak with you about the book. We've been talking about this since it was actually, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but initially you were going to write a book about um, self driving cars, and you ended up settling on YouTube, which I'm stoked about. And uh, I think there's so much good stuff in the book. I read it cover to cover. And um, YouTube is obviously a fascinating company, core to Google's revenue, competing strongly with TikTok at the moment. And also just like this kind of massively underrated political force and also a huge presence in the life of kids, which we'll get to. It's really interesting that you talk about it competing heavily with TikTok, just so like something we weren't even having a conversation about a few years ago. Yeah, I I wonder if... a whole different topic. Yeah, well, actually, I think it's the topic or yeah. the core of the topic because, you know, the first question I wrote out for you is, um, you know, basically a set looking at YouTube's competition with TikTok um, and like what you would do differently if you were to write the book today versus like writing it two years ago. And it just gives us a bit of a sense as to how fast TikTok has grown. So let's start with this. Can you give us a sense of, of YouTube scale? How big is this thing actually? I mean, the stat that they, the stat, I think the stat is almost like two years, not more years old now, right? The one they trotted out and they trotted out every like six months or so updating it. You know, 500 hours uh, are uploaded every, every minute to, to YouTube. and 500 hours of video. Yeah. Uploaded every like, minute. In, in, and I'm sure it's more, I mean, maybe close to 600. Um, you know, I think they've, they, they the company might, um, or discontinue that stat. I'd be curious if they, if they do, but it's just that gives you like one sense of the of the scale, like this sort of incomprehensible scale uh, of the platform. I mean, I think you know that the, there was a Pew study that came out a few years ago, or a few weeks ago rather, about teens looking at their usage of social media, and uh, you know the, the big the headlines were that, that Facebook has obviously dropped off in the past seven years, um, and TikTok has. Has risen, but TikTok, I think, was around 67% of teens said, Yeah, we use US teens. We use the TikTok all the time. 95% said they use YouTube. It's like the television, the like primary screen for youth um, and, and for entire generations, right? And I think that is those that we can go on with like the sense of, of, of scale, um, the platform itself. Is just it, it just has been growing since day one, um, and and now it's you know like what we're doing today, right? Podcast going up on YouTube. YouTube is leading in the podcasts. That is just hours and hours of footage. 
um, and audio that is really added to the platform uh, and just continue to grow. And you talk about, you know, the supply side, how much video is actually added to the platform every day. But what about the demand side? How much video is being watched every day? There was this goal uh, that they wanted a billion hours, it's in your book, a billion hours a day of watch time. Um, they looked at the share of YouTube and people's day-to-day life, not in terms of how much did- digital video they were watching, but they called it like similar to the share of stomach that a Pepsi or a Coke might, you know, figure how much, um, you know, not just digital video, but video in general. Um, are they being watched? So it, or have they surpassed that billion hours a day goal? And what does the demand side of YouTube look like in terms of watching? Yeah, they, that, that goal was set in, in um, 2012. Uh, and there's a really, I like, there's a really interesting kind of chapter on that evolution. And, and that was a key moment, uh, a really pivotal moment for, for YouTube when it switched from, you know, if, at its first um, seven years, it was measuring the key metric, which was video playbacks, the number of times people clicked on a, on a video. And then for a variety of reasons, chiefly like, okay, this is, we see that like people, there's clickbait, right? People are sort of using the system mm-hmm. and they switch to watch time. Uh, we're going to measure how long people are engaged with videos. Uh, and at the time they had this, um, the engineering team put together this graph tra- trajectory of like, okay, we're going to hit this billion hour goal in, in, in four years, billion hours consumed a day. They call it the break the internet graph, which is like mm-hmm. the, the traffic will exceed the bandwidth of the internet at the time. Uh, and it was like a very googly thing where it's like, this is, you know, the scale is so big. No one's done it before, but like we can do it. And, and, and they did. Um, and I, they haven't, as far as I know, um, haven't updated the fact that stat. I'm sure that like consistently still crossing a billion hours watched a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this is, you know, we mentioned podcast. YouTube's also like the world's biggest music service that no one talks about. Uh, and so there are people will, um, just, behind in the background just play music videos all day. Uh, right. And that's just hours and hours of footage. And when you talk about this, is they, they switched to watch time. That's what powers the recommendation algorithm. Everything that you see recommended is because they want you to watch more. And that's what ended up getting them to that billion hour plus per day of watch time. And, and, and the search too, right? Which mm-hmm. is like not just recommendations related video, but, but those search results on YouTube. So anything a YouTube algorithm is trying to suggest to you, it's based off of how how likely are you are to watch many minutes of it versus just click the title, which might be what Google wants. Yeah, that's the chief metric. I mean, they've they've added a lot of um, yeah, they've added a lot more signals and and yeah. uh, in, in the most recent years, which um, in in response to a lot of their you know, business crises and and then like right uh, a lot of pressure which we get into. But yes, that's the chief one. Even on on YouTube Shorts, which is their TikTok competitor, they're still measuring like prioritizing uh, watch time. And so let's talk a little bit. So you said about the TikTok threat. So 95% of kids are watching YouTube, 67% are watching TikTok. But a couple of years ago, 0% were watching TikTok for being honest about it. So that's actually a massive threat that's coming up against YouTube. Um, we had uh, one of your colleagues on, uh, Shelly Banjo, to come and talk about her uh, foundering TikTok podcast. And you know, I said, okay, so tell me who does this compete with, Facebook or uh, Instagram? And her answer was YouTube. So yeah, um, it seems like TikTok is like this growing force and any consideration of, of YouTube's power. I mean, your, your subtitle is your title. I, I, I like it, like comment, subscribe, but your subtitle is inside YouTube's chaotic rise to world domination. And the rise of TikTok is really making you question the fact that it has this world domination anymore, given how, how much TikTok seems to be 
eating into its lead, or maybe that's just a misconception from the surface. So you've written the book. Um, how how uh, how is TikTok threatening YouTube? Yeah, yeah. I'll give, I'll give two different answers. One is the um, it is the first viable threat uh, that's really coming like both sides of YouTube market. Right, it, it is competing for eyeballs and it's competing for creators. Uh, and Vine sort of did that, right? Um, and there were other th- you know uh, other threats before. You remember Vessel? I don't know if anyone in the audience remembers Vessel. Um, that was Jason Kilars. Yeah. yeah. Um, at, at the time, it was sort of, they were like this premium uh, paid service that was going to put things behind a paywall. It's sort of like a Patreon model in a way, but like exclusive footage from online creators. Uh, and this, like, it's sort of uh, funny in hindsight that people who told me about it were like laughed about it in hindsight. But it was like a this huge threat, right? Like YouTube sort of scrambled and, and started this big program because they, they were really worried about the vessel. Um, and, and at the time, for a long time, they were, they were chiefly worried about Facebook. Uh, and I think what, what TikTok has, has actually done is it's created um, a, a way to pay creators in, in a meaningful way that, that Vessel didn't do, that Vine didn't do, that Facebook, could, despite multiple efforts, hasn't, hasn't been able to do. Uh, you know, TikTok's sort of future there. There's been some fascinating stories about like how long that, that like the extent of their creator strategy, right? Like they have this big pool of money that they're paying out and the more creators that get it, the smaller that pool gets or the pool doesn't change rather than the smaller the amount gets. Right. And so like you talk to a lot of creators and it's like TikTok is where they get discovered. It's right now it's where a lot of audience is. Um, but YouTube is a reliable place to make money. And I think um, that especially, you know, you know, YouTube's about to flip the switch and, and turn on monetization for YouTube shorts. Uh, and who knows how, it'll, how that will go, but, but given history, like YouTube is pretty good at monetization. Um, so I think that the, the, like, that's the sort of bear case for like TikTok is this real big, strong threat. YouTube is clearly pivoting a lot of resources, the shorts, same way that Instagram is putting everything behind reels. Um, but YouTube is, you know, look at, they're also moving, uh, really aggressively on TV screens. Um, something that TikTok is sort of trying to compete with, right? But YouTube is like YouTube, both their like streaming service and then just like people watching YouTube on their, um, on Roku or, or Apple TV or something, right? That's, it's a gigantic growing audience. There are places like India where TikTok has been banned that YouTube is, you know, YouTube has more users in, in India than TikTok has users around the globe. Sorry, than Twitter has users around the globe, right? Like it's just massive. Uh, and if you look at the, you know, you talk about the kids, like this is what, that poll of teens, if you look at a lot of actual like videos, popular video footage on YouTube, it is for toddlers, for really young children that are growing up, not watching television, they're watching YouTube. And then they might graduate to TikTok. And, um, you know, I think it, it's that's the sort of case where YouTube just has such scale uh, and a variety of, of services and, and platforms. And it doesn't seem like, I, I think Instagram, like it's more interesting, like what TikTok is going to do to Instagram than I think what TikTok might sort of really like erratic, like eat into to YouTube shares as significantly. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about like creators and of course usage, but but is TikTok actively eating into YouTube's usage? I mean, you know, put this into context because we just saw that YouTube had pretty disappointing uh, earnings results over the past couple. Quarters. I don't think that's. A, I think that was a, Apple's done more to damage YouTube okay. and, and social media than anything else. Like I don't, right. So it hasn't been TikTok. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that, that recent, um, I think they're, what the company cited is like, uh, war in Ukraine, um, 
and they shut off their services in Russia. They got like a, a dip in advertising in Europe. But like Apple, as you've talked about a lot, right, has uh, you know banned um, targeted advertising. That's like Facebook has made a big stink about it publicly. I think like you, from when I talk to people inside YouTube, it's hit YouTube almost as, as hard. They just are like savvier and don't talk about it. Um, yeah, you don't think of Google as being hit by Apple's changes, but it is clearly being hit by those changes. Yeah, I mean Google's. Their search business is not, uh, and Google is still primarily a search business. And so that's why they're like, uh, they're able to, to be like largely right. unaffected by it. But, but YouTube has been, I think that's probably more than say like a waning audience or something. Right. So when we think about YouTube in context of its battle with TikTok, everything I'm hearing from you leads me to believe that TikTok is on the rise, but it's still YouTube is the Goliath. YouTube is, is the king of this world. My, my sense from, People at, at, on YouTube's advertising team is like, they're still like that. You mentioned that um, anecdote mm-hmm. from the book about the share of the stomach. Like they were like, oh, our art in that, that one is like TV is like the big stuff. Like TV is the one we, this was 10 years ago. They're like, TV has, you know, five hours of the average American's day. Like we should see heat into that. I think they still think that way. Like if you, their, their business is still built around like TV advertising is moving online. We are the, like primary place where those dollars are going to going to go, and so I think they're that's still the, the focus, even despite like all the attention that, that TikTok has. Okay, so if I'm hearing it right, bigger than TikTok, substantially bigger than TikTok, YouTube is, but also substantially smaller than television. Yeah. Now YouTube's that's, growth. That's go ahead. That's go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, like over, over, like the pay TV has been declining for a long time, and like you know that's where all the streaming the streaming battles are going, and um. And you think that's another interesting front, right? The YouTube is sort of like has one foot in the like streaming wars uh, and then and another foot like social media and TikTok. Yeah. Okay. And also, you know, one of the things that struck me is that that YouTube's growth is, is not exactly organic. It does have this algorithm that it tunes. And <laughs> as I read your book, I think the tension really is, and, you know, they can decide how much they grow, but the question is how much it costs society. You know, they can, they can, you know, start putting these like, you know, videos that end up having very destructive effects. That seems to be the thing that people are most interested in. We'll spend more time on YouTube or they can tail it back and just grow slower. So do you think that's the right way to look at it? Like you're saying that like the right way to look at it is sort of, they have this balance between the the metrics they're trying to hit and like the, the societal impact and, and, yeah. Uh, chaos the platform. I think that if they didn't care, maybe if they didn't care about societal impact, they would be able to grow faster. Um, because, but because they do, they're like trying to um, tune their algorithm to, to and, and the content that they show up, they show on, on the site to, to try to make it, you know, somewhat benign, but still grow. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a new, the sort of new, um, company PR language that they've been rolling out. It's like, you know, our, our, um, so they, they made it this, this, the you know, book goes through this in like, um, in, in detail, like that Rocky period where they have this big advertising boycott in 2017, remember, um, a series of boycotts, right. And like around brand safety, uh, and, and, and they put in a bunch of a place, like they, they put in a bunch of safeguards there. Like the YouTube doesn't really have this brand safety problem anymore. Well, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about that is, is that that actually works. Those ad boycotts work, which I was like astonished by. Usually I think they do nothing, but 
in YouTube's case, they actually did. Yeah, and that in in in, in that case, it, it did work. I think it's hard to say how much of it was the threat of regulation, right? Because at around the same time, we were getting, especially in Europe, like Google was facing a lot more pressure. So, it, right, it could it could have been the, the, the business pressure. It could, it could have been the regulatory issues. It could have been just like the, the employees were starting to to speak out about this, and it was just like a general sort of mayhem of of the Trump era. But so the the talking points they have now is like this is good for our business like being it's like brand safety and like responsibility is is good for our overall business which i think is like partially true right like youtube you know the history of like there's there's been this i think what's really fascinating in the in the book is like this big gap between uh what the company sees uh youtube being what its executives see youtube being and what it actually is right Mm -hmm. and what are the what is that yeah, I think like, you know, you hear like Susan Wojcicki is CEO and who's the CEO? Soon Sunar Bachai is the CEO of Google. They talk about like YouTube is amazing learning platform, right? It's this like um, cuddly fun place, sort of like a, like a Disney channel, but like a little bit like edgier, right? Like it's the place with Mark Rober doing like cool, like it's just sort of, it's a, if you ever seen their brand cast, right? It's their YouTube's big event and they, they roll out their, their, their um, like star creators that they want to that are like really, um, that advertisers, advertisers safe and like have all, all the best parts and qualities of YouTube. Um, and I think, you know, it, it is both that and it's this like massive, like sort of all these different niches and it's like a, a big political mess in this, like it is, you, you know, their drama channels that do really well. There's like toy unboxing. There are all these sort of, there are all these niches on YouTube that the company typically ignores. Um, so I think to answer your question, like, uh, I, yes, I think they were, um, they have taken, like, they, they've chosen to, uh, make decisions in response to whether it's like advertiser boycotts or regulatory pressure or employee pressure, uh, that have to scale back some of their, like, if they were just running a pure engagement, right? Like, they've made yeah. choices that got less engagement. I mean, what a, a really interesting example is their originals program. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. The, um, the, this was their attempt to do like a YouTube version of House of Cards, right? Like YouTube, this was 2015. We're in YouTube originals. We're going to like come out with a bunch of shows starring um, some of our YouTube creators. Like they gave a show to PewDiePie. They gave like shows. Um, Cobra Kai was one that actually like has had like a life afterwards. Um, they, that, that program sort of died on the vine and eventually shut down um, earlier this year. But my sense from people was like those episodes which were youtube shows subscriber only to like youtube premium didn't drive as much watch time like when when youtube tried to feature them uh, on, on like tried to recommend them to viewers or put them on the homepage, the watch time actually went down and so there's this really interesting mm. internal tension in the company which is like we need our chief metric right is to just drive more watch time that's what that's what sort of pays the bills and then there are all these programs like oh we need to say respond to regulation in this way or oh we have this effort to do like original programming um, that kind of competes with the i mean competes with the the core metric this is like something that's interesting about google too is as we know like you know google has like eight different messaging apps right like there are all these different competing teams that sometimes don't work well together right and that's kind of what i was getting at earlier which is that like you can have this like high gloss produced type of video or you can have like the underbelly and if you emphasize the high gloss, you're probably going to get less watch time. And if you push the underbelly, then you'll get more. And and yeah. go ahead. Oh, I, yeah. I think you hit on something that's that's been, you know, like this is 
think YouTube is sort of like YouTube creators have dealt with this for a while, but there was a period where they, there was this, they were like, okay, we're, we're in one way we're being pushed to uh, create sort of YouTube wants us to do premium content mm-hmm. and like daily, you know, they, they prioritize like daily, daily output. Um, so we have to spend a lot of money up front to like increase our production value. Um, but on the other hand, we have to like churn out more and more because the algorithm wanted like daily content. And so, and then this is the same time when like the, for a long time, um, you know, TV basically wasn't on YouTube, but then, uh, YouTube's business team like cut all these successful deals. And so you saw like Jimmy Kimmel, the Jimmy Fallon, all the Jimmy's, uh, and like, um, you know, daytime <laughs> television, the like the pour onto YouTube. And like, these were big media companies with big budgets that churned out like daily content, right? Uh, there was a great video from this YouTuber named Matt Pat, game theorist. And, like, I think it was 2015. He had this, like, he did this animation of this treadmill, right? And like, YouTubers are like sweating on the treadmill. And then like Ellen DeGeneres and like Jimmy Kimmel are just like, uh, just easily breezing past them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, there's a, a belief, and I think it like totally uh, justified that YouTube tends to, um, it, its systems and its preferences tend to like put, put uh, more preference for traditional media over its online creators. Right. What is, what is, makes up the most of YouTube? Is it traditional media or is it amateur? No, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'll ask Susan that question. Um, they've, uh, Come on. I, I think you just spent three years working on a book on this. You better have a good, good answer. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you don't have all the answers, Alex, unfortunately. That was, that was a good question though. Um, I mean, your book dances around it the entire 400 pages. So what do you think? This, yeah, no, good, good. Press me, press me on it. Uh, I think that what the, what sh- I believe that Wojcicki has said that about ha- that YouTube calls them endemic creators, right? Like creators that are sort of native species. Um, about half the viewership comes from them, uh, which in some ways is, hmm. is, is pretty gigantic, right? Um, given like how popular music videos are um, and and just like traditional media on, um, they've never shared how much of their, uh, you know, they have this big stat about like paying out $30 billion to creators over a certain, but it, like that creators is defined very broadly, right? It's like, it is you know, Casey Neistat, it is like you putting your video up there. Uh, and it's also the, the Jimmy's from TV. And it, it's also like um, the new Taylor Swift video, right? Like, uh, so my sense is that it skews. Um, I think it's, I think it's certainly like TikTok has introduced this new competition that has, uh, and, and in the past few years, uh, I mean, you have to keep in mind too, like in tw- it was before 2018, YouTube was sharing with millions, maybe like as close to 6 million different creators. And then they, after a series of crises, dramatically cut that level down. So I think it's climbing back up. But for the past few years, it was almost certainly like skewed towards towards uh, traditional media and record labels. Right. And it's interesting. Too. So let's say that, let's say we'll take that 50% amateur content as, you know, a jumping off point, even though we're not 100%. Amateur's not the right word, but like, because they're professionals, but. Right. Okay. Non-studio produced, right? There you go, Let's yeah. take that as a jumping off point. It is interesting because, you know, as I'm reading your book, you know, it, 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 YouTube really does usher in this moment of anyone be, with a camera being able to pick up and, you know, create video and everybody got a camera with phones. Um, and so, so what do you think the implications, and this is one of the questions that comes up as I read, as I read through, what do you think the implications are of giving everybody a camera be, you know, definitely rudimentary editing software comes with everything we have. 
and then see the outlet to publish? How does that change society? How does that change the world? Uh, yeah, I think the history of YouTube shows that, you know, we are uh, pretty weird, willing to put some weird shit on there. Um, <laughs> like, they, you know, they, no YouTube is like dealt with the, the strangest things on the internet by far. Just, what, what, list, list a few of them. Yeah, I mean, early, you know, certainly early on, like, uh, porn was, was a, you know, like, you know, YouTube, you know, like YouTube has built enough uh, skin detection algorithms now that like porn and... Yeah, wait, hold on. Tell the story. There was a person in your book. There's a story of somebody writing to YouTube headquarters being like, Oh, I think it was a voicemail. There was a voicemail. Yeah. 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 Say, say it. Yeah. Uh, big man was crass anecdote here. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> at the time, this, I think this, this was early on. This is when they were, you know, this was before they were, they joined Google. Uh, and they had like, it's um, when they bought, when Google bought them, they were a 60 person company. There's like, they had like 10 phone lines. Like they were using like one piece of sort of moderations, like, uh, one piece of software for like customer response that they all had to like log into. So it was like very like shoestring. Um, and, and, and someone called in and was like, when they had one of the outages, which used to have a lot more outages, uh, and angrily berated the company because he couldn't, uh, pleasure himself to their videos. He said something like, Get your shit together. I'm trying to yeah. masturbate. Yeah. Okay. So it was that. obviously used for, for porn. What else? I wouldn't necessarily put porn in like the weird category because it gets a no, lot weirder. I, but I was going to, that was my way of, yeah. my way of going into like the, there was a funny running joke about octopuses mm-hmm. coming out of videos in Japan. Um, and my understanding was that like the videos were like, you know, there's this great, um, sort of cat and mouse game, uh, great is not the right word, but there's this fascinating cat and mouse game between mm. the platform and, and the creators, right? Like, where they like learn the rules and then they like, go right up to them. Um, and that happens on every, like you've seen that happening on hate speech, right? Um, and it originally it was written and still does like around sexual content. And so like, if you show the octopus like being inserted inside a person, but like you don't see the actual insertion, like, is that violate the rule? Like, these were the, okay. like, there was this great anecdote in the book about how they were like having this debate and like understanding because like a bunch of YouTube employees like looking at the screen of these octopus videos and then like, like Google's top lawyer walks by, right? And they're like, oh, like try to shield the computer being like, you just paid $1.6 billion for this thing. And we're looking at like kind of octopus porn. Um, okay. So that one was uh, another one. I mean, there's like an endless amount of, of you know, very early on, dealing with um, things like um, videos about um, phrenology, like the, the, the junk pseudoscience, like if they're shot as a documentary and like someone talking about how it's like YouTube had this sort of, well, if it's a documentary, it's fine. Like, is this hate speech, right? Is this, uh, there were all these sort of gray areas. Um, and it was a, this, this team that was basically building out this content moderation rule book when it didn't, there wasn't a precedence really, like it didn't exist. Uh, this was the beginning of user generated content. So like, you know, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, were all setting these uh, standards at the same time. YouTube had the much more complicated, like not just uh, obviously text, but like video and visual, uh, which is still something that's, that's in like machine intelligence has not been able to just say for like everything that happens inside the video, which is like, not that confident yet. Right. So there was this, you know, the weird stuff, but also a lot of political um, content and a lot of um, race, race, uh, racist content, a lot of terrorist content, right? Everything is on there. The the political content was, so 
um, stop me if you don't, this, don't find this interesting, but uh, the political content at the, at the beginning was, you know, like, you remember Ron Paul's presidential mm-hmm. run in 2008? Like, Ron Paul was, like, the first sort of, like, had a, a bunch of um, online acolytes and, like, Ron Paul. And so, like, YouTube, like, leaned in and they had these community managers early on and one, like, Steve Grove worked on news and politics and, like, sort of leaned in in, like, this way that it's sort of uh, crazy to think about YouTube doing this now, but, like, going through and, like, picking out the most interesting political videos and vlogs and, like, service, trying to, like, service them on the homepage or service them. To, and, and then he, like, orchestrated the, the partnership with CNN where in the 2008 presidential debates, like, YouTubers got to ask the Democrats questions, um, mm-hmm. which was like, that was a good I debate. Mean, it'd be pretty funny if, if it happened now. Uh, I mean, YouTube carried, like YouTube carried it on with, um, they had YouTubers, uh, asking Obama question, interviewing Obama the last two years of his presidency. Uh, that is, as people will probably notice, did not continue with the following president. And it's, you know, the story of YouTube is kind of, you know, jumping off this the story of YouTube is kind of the story of, of the internet here, which is that, you know, you can, in the mainstream, um, like places like CNN or, you know, the New York Times or even Fox News, right? You can, you get a certain set of perspectives. And so because you can get those perspectives in the mainstream and the mass media, it's going to be less attractive to actually put those same perspectives up on the internet. And it's going to be less attractive to watch them there because you can watch the produced stuff online or you can read it in the Times or the Journal. And so the, the internet just becomes this haven for the alternative. And in some ways that's good. Because orthodoxies should be be questioned, um, but oftentimes it does does spin into um, the grotesque. Yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. I do think YouTube's history is a really fascinating reflection of um, uh, of like the last twenty years of the internet. Um, and, and, and like one storyline that's interesting is it's, you know, like look at look remember the Arab Spring like a decade ago, right? Um, and that was. It was largely like Facebook and Twitter was sort of, this was the moment of someone in the book calls it like the internet of awesome, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we are toppling, we're toppling dictators. Uh, we're the sort of, in countries where there is no, um, like there's only like the sanctioned state media, like there's social media, which is just this power revolutionary force. And then obviously that like had this dark turn for a variety of reasons and the companies and YouTube included were like super naive about, about that. Um, but I think, you know, we still like Russia is a really interesting use case right now, right? Like, so, you know, YouTube is still operating in Russia, uh, probably the only American media company doing so. Um, it is like, there's been plenty of report like Russia today, like these Kremlin back channels were before YouTube took action on them, like very popular. Russia today was like basically thrived as, as a YouTube network. Um, but also YouTube is, uh, the place where the Russian, uh, this, Descent and uh, a lot of like critics mm-hmm. of the Kremlin have massive channels. Like people in Russia can go on and watch them. Um, like it still has this sort of two sides um, of, of that of that of that equation, and and I think has um, been something that like was a big part of YouTube's growth early on, and probably still will be. Yeah, and it's interesting because like they ha- you have these like. Um, of course, academics that drive people to extremes and you can watch their debates on YouTube, but there's also plenty of, and this is one of the things I keep coming back to as I was reading is there's, there's plenty of, um, you know, fascinating above board academic debates that you can watch on YouTube. Um, so many other helpful videos that you can watch on YouTube. It's, it's pretty amazing. 
um, you know, anything you need to do. I mean, I, I, I don't know, like YouTube's helped me conquer fears. You know, I used to like worry about swimming in the ocean with sharks and I watched enough shark encounter videos because everybody has GoPros on now and they're showing what happens when you're in the ocean with sharks. It's actually not so bad. Like they're just curious animals for the most part. And so, you know, there is, there is this balance between the good and the bad. I also think you're hitting on the exact reason why YouTube has not had the, they're one of the main reasons why YouTube hasn't had the same scrutiny that Facebook has had. Because? Uh, because most people have like your experience with it, hmm. right? It's a, it's a utility. It's, it's, um, so is Facebook for many people. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. I guess there's like the sense that, you know, amongst like some of my, like I, like, I have plenty of friends, I'm sure you do too, that are like, ah, man, like, like, I wish I wasn't using Facebook. I like, I, w- I, was, mm-hmm. I wish I wasn't using Instagram as much. Right. Right. People like, love who, who, YouTube. Yeah. Who's like, ah, God, I really got to stop watching those YouTube videos. Right. Like, <laughs> um, I think there, there for sure. There's like niche, there are like corners of YouTube with, people that are addicted and like it has all the sort of trappings of, of social media and endorphins and everything. Um, but, but yes, it does. I mean, like I said, it, or like that, that version of YouTube that the platform likes, which is like, yes, helping, helping you conquer your fears and hopefully not like immediately showing you videos of like sharks eating people or something. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, Although there are plenty of those too. Yeah. You just learn not what not to do. Yeah. There, there, it is unleashed, um, all sorts of new, like, creativity and like if you, if you just like i think one interesting lens to think about youtube is like um what doesn't exist on tv and like those videos about you know i mean maybe if, except for shark week right but like those type of videos you're watching don't exist on, on, on tv yeah you have a channel like the you have a trap to like the kite surfing channel which has been like it's a niche interest you're not going to find it on television but you're going to be able to watch it this is when so um that was a, a term uh this youtube second ceo this sort of forgotten one seller Kamangar. um who has disappeared from, from the public. Uh, but that was like his, his term. And that was very much like you, the beginning of YouTube's like business growth was this, this pitching itself to, to advertisers and, and to like media as like, look, we can have, if you're interested in kite surfing, which is a hilarious example, but given like the Google executive, but like, or if you're like, he was, you know, also really in the piano playing or like chess, right. Or like you, there's an endless amount of, of niches that people can have. And of course the downside of that is like the like echo, uh, echo chambers, right. And filter bubbles. And like you get inside of a niche and that niche has like, um, you know, I, I, the book teases out this real, I thought I learned this reporting the book, this world of, of um, called YouTube skeptics. Remember this part? Yeah. Uh, like basically this community of atheists, um, that in like 10 years ago, um, it was the sort of beginnings of these early YouTube communities. Uh, and it was a lot of accounts that were, they were really into like Christopher Hitchens and, um, Richard Dawkins and like, um, and, and then they were like, a lot of them started making videos that like taking down creationists. Right. And then uh, a lot of them started taking down like Muslims and, and Jewish believers and like, Sort of at the time, it was like, oh, these are these are atheists, just like ripping into people of faith, right? Uh, and that sort of a lot, many of those accounts began like a few years later. It was like, oh, a convenient uh, foil, a, a thing that got like, good attention was like social justice warriors, right? And like taking on online feminists. Um, and so you saw that sort of like that moved into the sort of Trump era, like mm-hmm. all right. Um, this really strange and, and for a lot of viewers like unexpected way uh, that within a few years you went from like atheists talking about philosophy to like 
alt-right sort of setting the stage for Trump. Yeah. And it, it happens everywhere on YouTube where you have these like interesting discussions about important subject matter. And they do oftentimes tend to um, drift into the extreme areas. Maybe we hear about the extreme areas because they're, you know, even if 1% of the discussions go there, then that becomes a news story. Uh, but, it, you know, it is interesting. It's interesting how, I mean, is this the algorithm or the people, you know, that want to go from the skeptic stuff and debates about faith to, you know, um, you know rants about SJWs? And is it the algorithm or the people that take, you know, typical discussions about Islam, for instance, and potentially drive them in areas that end up, you know, having people uh, self-recruit to ISIS? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you the... Uh boring answer maybe it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b i, I mean like um you know there's been uh you've you've had some really great uh podcasts about uh, and kevin roos the new york times and the great story on, on the rabbit hole and there's been some like mm-hmm. pushback on that idea yeah we just had brendan nyhan who pushes back a bit on it uh and i thought his research was really fascinating what what i think that like what i found interesting and, and i hope readers get from the book too is like this sort of other side of the um of the algorithm algorithmic equation like that that you know the, the rabbit hole effect is so much how much like you know you and i go on and then we see one video leads to the next um how much of like the the actual programming like the content that is made on youtube is dictated by the, the company's algorithms um i think that's a really important and, and often uh, overlooked thing what do you think i think a lot of it like i think that's the youtube is sort of a media programmer by um default like they don't think of themselves consciously as being a media programmer right but but they are but but the way that they've structured their their systems um and th- but they would say that humans are clicking humans are watching right and so stop looking at us so who is it the people or the algorithm there, there's a really good um example sort of been way through through the book about minecraft so hmm. minecraft comes like you know minecraft is uh, i forget when microsoft buys it but like to have this big explosion, right? And some like it becomes like around the time when video game play was like huge on YouTube. So like I think it was 2014 around then. Like there's I'm gonna go back to this YouTuber Matt Pat. People should go out and watch this video. Um, and 2014. Like, What's that? 2014 for 2.5 billion. Um, that thank you. I think it was in 2014 or 2015. He like goes to the so the YouTube logged out homepage is sort of like uh, this barometer for. Um, you know, what, what is sort of the, the, the YouTube serving up? And there's a lot of people that, that like don't, you know, not logged into YouTube account, Google accounts and, and visit YouTube. Uh, so at one point, like, I think it was like more than half or something. It was an absurd amount of the videos on the homepage were Minecraft videos, right? Uh, now it's like mostly Mr. Beast, but like, um, at the time it was like Minecraft was huge. And then, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, like within a few months, like, Minecraft just disappears from the homepage, right? Mm. And traffic on Minecraft videos will plummet. And there was this great, like, in YouTuber, they have this sort of, like, urban legend that, like, some executive at, at YouTube walks past the screen and is like, what the hell are all these Minecraft videos doing? We need to get rid of them. Um, it turns out, at least from, like, I talked to the VP of engineering uh, and, and raised this theory by him, and he's like, no, no, no that's not how it works. But at the time, uh, Susan would just had just taken over. YouTube was like looking at their stats and they were like, okay, we have like dedicated viewers of like people who want to watch Minecraft play, right? But what we don't have is like we don't have a mainstream audience. And like think about the story of YouTube in many ways is like hmm. they're trying to get to the main television mainstream audience, hmm. right? Like keep that in mind. 
Um, and so like, they're like, okay, well, if you were, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the VP gave the example, he's like, if you're my mom going on youtube.com, you're like, well, what the hell is Minecraft? Why am I going to watch Minecraft videos? Right. Um, and so they, rather than like pulling the plug on Minecraft, they just tweak the algorithm. It's like, okay, well, we're going to start trying to push people that aren't like having these sort of people that are coming back on a regular basis that aren't these sort of dedicated fans. And the consequence is then that like, Fewer videos, views on Minecraft, less people start making Minecraft videos because that's where the, the views, right? Like that is just a really fascinating example. It happens like millions of times across um, YouTube. It's where like these tweaks happen, you know, a few years later, like Spider-Man Elsa, like Bad Baby, like weird kids video were really popular. And like YouTubers were like, well, I might as well jump in on this trend, right? <laughs> like you have some great examples of that. In the, in the book. Yeah. yeah. And like you had families that dressed up like superheroes and then they put up these vlogs and like, we don't know. I'm not sure why we did that. And it was actually kind of weird, but like, that's what the algorithm was telling us to do. Like, I think to a certain extent, like, yes, people are like viewers are viewers um, and we'll click on things. And like content creators are, are not just like, they're not changed to like, they're not forced to do something right. They make choices. Uh, but this, there's a, a system that rewards certain type of contents that are constantly changing. Um, and I think in that way, uh, we sort of, you know, there was a really great, uh, this like New Yorker writer and talk about this term, like algorithmic anxiety. I thought that's like such a great term for like describing what it's like to be a, a YouTuber, um, for such a long time. And part of it's like the ground is like constantly shifting beneath their feet. The book is like comment subscribed by Mark Bergen, who's here with us. Uh, joining us for a long discussion about the, the nature of YouTube. And uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back, talk a little bit about why an old media guy like Mark Bergen is talking about a new media company like YouTube and um, whether his criticism is fair or unfair. We'll be back after this. Will AI improve our lives or exterminate the species? What would it take to abolish poverty? Are you eating enough fermented foods? These are some of the questions we've tackled recently on The Next Big Idea. I'm Rufus Griscom, and every week I sit down with the world's leading thinkers for in-depth conversations that will help you live, work, and play smarter. Follow The Next Big Idea wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Mark Bergen from Bloomberg. His book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination, is available for pre-order and comes out next week. So if you pre-order it today, you'll be able to get it by next Tuesday. 
um, I recommend it. It's definitely a great book. I really enjoyed it. And, um, and, and Mark, I can't vouch for delivery times, by the way, on Amazon, but Mark, you're trying to sell a book here. (laughs) Soon as possible. Tell us about the title, like comment, subscribe. It it seems, well, obviously that's like the call that every creator does, you know, like comment, subscribe. If you enjoyed this video, are you, are you doing that somewhat mockingly or, you know, what, what sort of uh, commentary are you making on YouTube? Um, Oh yeah. To be very clear, I'm like not intent to not mocking creators at all. Um, And like, I think, uh, uh, I think it's like, it's a somewhat of a, of a commentary. You're right. It's like this, this, um, I'll give my agent credit for coming up for this one actually. Uh, but it's like this, um, uh, when you kind of in rapid succession, right. And like everyone, it's, it's become this thing that, uh, you know, if I said that phrase to you in 2005, like it would have mm-hmm. no meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. And like now it like Im- immediately shorthand, uh, for, for YouTube and like the online attention economy. Um, and so that was the, that was the intent. And I thought it was like a great catchy phrase that like enough people know, uh, what it means. And, and the idea is to like, Oh, I understand you. Like I know YouTube, but I don't really like understand what goes on behind the, uh, behind the pixels as it were. Right. And so one of the, the big themes that has come up on YouTube, one of the most popular pieces of subject matter that I see on YouTube about YouTube, because all these platforms are always self-referential is this, you know, we've kind of been a through line through this whole discussion, but the competition between YouTube and the mainstream media, YouTube and TV, um, you know, your, your book is, is great. It has a lot of criticisms of YouTube, a lot of criticisms of creators. And, you know, there's been this back and forth with people like PewDiePie in the Wall Street Journal, for instance, who point out yeah. his, his faults. And, you know, the, oftentimes the creators are like, um, you know, the, the news media is just jealous of our success and trying to yeah. take us down a peg. So how did you think about, about that, you know, back and forth and then contextualize yourself and how you come to this, given that you actually are, you know, a player in this discussion now? Yeah. Uh, good question. I think that like, you know, that the, the PewDiePie thing, just to do like a quick recap, right? So the journal writes a story that became like the, it started off sort of YouTube's terrible year in 2017. And it's like, he was making these videos on, on Fiverr that like get for hire. Uh, the journal discovers like, Oh, there's this uh, neo-Nazi website, daily stormer. That's like a big fan of PewDiePie in part because he made this video that, that uh, he convinced these, these two guys to, to unfurl the sign and said death to all Jews. And then in, in the subsequent melee about that, like he's like, you know, the journal and, and public and, and media, is just jealous of, of creators. And what's the interesting context right. there is like, by the way, he's yeah. just, he's the biggest YouTuber in the world at this yeah. point with a hundred million subscribers. Uh, he wasn't hundred million. Like yeah. He was uh, on his over, way over 50 million. Yeah. But yeah. still big. He had the title since, since 2012. So um, yeah, good context. Uh, and he does games and stuff. Uh, at that point he was doing myriad ridiculous stuff, uh, yeah. but um, versatile YouTuber. Um, so it, I think it's it's fair that that the uh, that the mainstream media had like uh, what sort of treated YouTubers as a novelty act. Um, there was this like rubbernecking at like oh they make uh, look you know the the previous he had pointed to a prior Wall Street Journal story he did that was like much more like it was sort of like meet this YouTuber who makes the headline was like this guy plays video games he makes four million a year right it's like crazy. Um, you know, there were people also, so part of the book gets into the, the multi-channel networks, which were these studios that came up and run YouTube. And they were like, one of the goals that they want is like, 
we want a YouTuber to basically be accepted as George Clooney, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they think, you know, when George Clooney goes on late night TV, they're not like, how much money do you make, George? Right? Like, and yet that's like the question that every YouTuber got. Um, and part of it was, I think, in, like trying that the media was trying to, to, to process uh, this sort of new phenomenon. Um, and I, but I think it's admittedly like, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this too, like disrespectful to an online creator and a professional uh, in, in media of like dismissing them as this sort of like, wow, you make this much money just playing video games, right? Like, um, I think that's, you know, the other context here is that in the, the advertising, the boycotts in, in YouTube had a serious consequence for the company, uh, much more serious. I think people didn't realize that just in the book uh, and also it's serious, kind of like a lot of YouTubers, their, their incomes immediately plummeted like as much as 80%. Um, and I think they had this idea. I've talked to a lot of them, like the story, which was, you know, you, you like the problem was like there were household brands sponsoring like terrorist content and neo-Nazis and, and you name like that, that stuff on right. YouTube. And like the way that you understand, but well, like, the way that- yeah, but sometimes like not to stand up for the, you know, people who they were sponsoring, but uh, oftentimes like they're going, you know, let's say a PNG ad or like some sort of ad, you know, goes on one video that, you know, is, is, is against, you know, their values. Um, but it's like, it, it's a fraction of a cent and this a, was, a newspaper, this was defense. yeah, a newspaper then screenshots that. And then the company, you know, is makes this, so I think this, yeah. this was the reason this, this is another reason for the animosity between like, like myself, old media mm-hmm. and YouTubers. Um, you know, the, I think, I know YouTube like contributed in some ways because like YouTube is like, well, you know, the, the reporters out there were basically hunting, right? You like go on some websites, you get some cookies on your, on your browser, yeah. you go like search on YouTube for the worst things. You take a screenshot, like, um, yes, like that, I, I, that is a structure of the story. But, but to be like in, in the defense here, like the, like the advertiser, the advertising companies could have said like, yeah, this is like the nature of online advertising and like, I'm, they were under the impression like YouTube was charging them basically rates for their premium section on par with television. And there were many complicated, like this was a, a battle about like all the things we used to cover when we worked at ad age, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, more, more so than, than you like advertising agencies taking some sort of moral backbone. But like the point remains like YouTube had built this system that was no longer sustainable for their, their primary customer, which is advertisers. And it had like massive consequence for there are these millions of creators that they built this like pretty unstable economy around. So I think like, yeah, yes, I, I think it's, it's fair to say like the critics, if, if you're, if the stories coverage were like going out and finding these needle in the haystacks and saying, this is all of YouTube. I think that that's valid, but I, but I do think the whole premise is like, Oh, look, like the world's biggest advertising company ha- does these things fairly often like the, mm-hmm. the thing about youtube is like needles in the haystack youtube is such a big haystack that at scale well, that makes a difference yeah, like, like yeah. there even if you have like some needles there's a lot of sharp needles right, right. Bad metaphor but um yeah I, I still think that was like a really i i just i push back on that that idea that it was just the media gunning for um old media going for new media i think it was the media uh um shining a light on a very unregulated industry um that had like 
this system where its primary customers like didn't understand how it operated. Right? And yeah. talk to brand advertisers, and they're like, "Oh my god, we like can't we?" At the time, we're like, "We didn't understand YouTube," which is their own fault right. too. But like, no doubt, I just think that the stories that that covered this stuff, like they have the me- journalists who cover this stuff have a response. Not to lecture, uh, and I don't think you've been guilty of this, but journalists that cover this stuff have a responsibility to put it into the proper context. Yeah, and you do yeah. that in the second paragraph of the story, and. These paragraphs never talk about how minuscule it was or how, you know, how, how infinitesimal it is, um, you know, versus they always say like, you know, this shows that, you know, the devastating consequences of, you know, online advertising and stuff like that. So motivation or not, I just think they get it wrong sometimes, or at least, you know, at the, you know, in order to have a dramatic story often over dramatize, you know, what's actually happening. I, I think that's uh, sure that's fair. I mean, Casey Neistat, I, I didn't put in the book, but like, you know, he was also um, like advertisers didn't fail to appreciate this sort of uh, new and profound relationship that YouTubers have with the audience that like doesn't exist on TV, which I think you're absolutely right. Like their YouTubers have um, developed this really fanat- uh, uh, like fascinating role with like audio, they have like very loyal audio. Like PewDiePie is a, a canonical example of this, like, right. His audience was like deeply loyal and like tell him as being wronged um, and like got pissed off at YouTube about it. Right. And like, I think that the advertisers have like, I think uh, a lot of them are like savvy ones have like figured this out. Right. Like this is a different relationship than like a television show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, like sure getting, I think you're right in the, in the sense of like, these were um, relatively small, like the, those sort of brand safety problems and, and maybe like were, um, were relatively small. And, and like, you know, YouTube has used its defense around political speech too. Like mm-hmm. politics is like a really small section of YouTube, right? Um, but again, yeah. like YouTube is that still large. I don't agree with, like, yeah. Right. It, it's so like you, they, they can constantly, that can be an argument for, for many things, right? Like, oh, this is like, this is just really small incident. Um, and I think that like what was really telling about the brand safety uh, crisis and, and maybe the reporting was a little overblown, but like, sure. Like, you know, that's how online media works, but like um, it was sort of exposing like, Hey, this is how this business works, which is there's an automated system that like sprays P and G ads like everywhere on the internet. Mm-hmm. And like, Oh, like this seems to be a broken system for the people who are spending money there. So like, That'll be my, my line. You can lecture me some more if you want. No, 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 no. It's not, not a lecture. Just pointing that out. What is the biggest scoop or bombshell from the book? The biggest scoop or bombshell. When is this coming out again? It's coming out, uh, uh, Wednesday. You know, that that YouTube, the code for YouTube was actually allegedly, uh, uh Steve Chen wrote one of the co-founders. Uh, there are people at Facebook. He worked at Facebook briefly before joining YouTube and he kept his corporate device. Oh. Uh, and there are people uh, high up at, at Facebook at the time that, that thought he wrote the, the code for YouTube on that corporate device, which I think is really funny that the two worlds, the world's two biggest like social media companies may have come from the, the same corporate device. Uh, or like the YouTube's code was written on a Facebook corporate device. That, that is not yeah. the biggest scoop. That's just a fun one. Right. Um, what about the kids stuff? The kid stuff is wild. Yeah, I think like the um, you know one thing I learned there, and it's revealed in in, in the book, is that the the crisis around um, 
around in like inappropriate kids videos actually pushed like at one point YouTube considered pulling the plug on all brand advertising, which was like their core business. So they're mm-hmm. basically, we're going to like stop shipping this product, like no longer because it got like, got so bad. There was a meeting about that. Um, what they ended up doing instead was um, dramatically reducing the, the number of, of channels that could make money. They like raised the threat. You had like channels before then, this was in late 2017, you know, you upload to YouTube unless you break copyright rules or like hate speech or like sort of uh, speech rules, you, you can basically monetize. Um, and then they're like, oh no, you have to have a certain number of, of hours of watch hours and subscribers before you can like in, in part because of just how rampant uh, the kids issue was. So yeah, the, the short version of the, the kids stuff is, um, you know, I, I think what's, it's really telling is there's a pattern across YouTube. Like YouTubers notice the weird stuff and <laughs> troubling things on the platform much faster than the company. So there were like the YouTubers that like popular ones, H3H3 is a huge YouTube channel. They were making videos about these, this trend of like um, Spider-Man, Elsa, like these trend of, of adults, like dressing up in superhero costumes and like doing sort of vaudeville acts for kids. And like a lot of it was like, uh, some of it was just like strange. Then it got like sexual and like perverse. And they were making videos about this in 2016. And it, and it was a year, like a year and a half more later that the company finally acted. Um, in part, you know, someone told me like, it's just like kids, they were not, um, like minding the store around, around kids. Uh, and in part was because YouTube had this for, for a long time, uh, for legal reasons, like pretended that, that no one under 13 was watching, watching the site. Uh, I guess they didn't want to violate COPPA. Yeah. Yeah, was, uh, one of the notes I just wrote was, I'm never letting my kids use YouTube. I mean, I don't have kids yet, but um, when the day comes, they will not be on YouTube. Some of this stuff is so horrifying. I, I mean, just to, so like, here's, a, here's, a, here's another takeaway that um, is interesting that, that maybe convince you and you're in uh, your, uh, the mother of your uh, child to um, change your mind. <laughs> uh, um, wow, okay. The, the, the defense. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> You know, the only like, you know, as you've covered, like big tech hasn't really like come after or sorry, um, the government has not really come after big tech in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. a- except for like the FTC, which fined YouTube in uh, 2019 for violating Children's Online Privacy Act. Uh, and it, that has some like major consequence to the platform. Uh, the main one being like all videos have to be like either made as made, marked as made for kids or not. YouTube is like dramatically like shifted resources to make sure that like none of those inappropriate kids videos happen again. Like I think, yes, like YouTube's like kids content on YouTube is like underexamined. Like no one really like, there's not many researchers to look at it. Certainly not a lot of parents. It is like largely some like uh, weird stuff is still on there, but like it has changed dramatically. The company is like so much more attuned to it now in, in large part because like, it was the first time that regulators got their act together and took action against the tech company. Interesting. So there is hope. Oh, and if, if you believe in power regulation. Well, we haven't had a lot of evidence to, to show that there, that power actually works. Okay. Well, the book is called like comment, subscribe. You can get it now via pre-order. I want to thank Mark for coming on the show. Appreciate you joining Mark. Um, thank you, Nate Guatney for editing the audio. Thank you, LinkedIn for having me on your podcast network. Thanks to all of you, the, the listeners. Really appreciate all the five-star reviews that have come on. They make a big difference. Um, if you haven't done it yet, I would encourage you to do it. If this is your first time, please subscribe. 
And uh, that will do it for us this week on the show. So we will see you next week on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.